Hello, and welcome to Cage Club. Two fans, 73 movies, one cage. Today, episode 18, 1992's Honeymoon in Vegas. I'm your host, Mike Manzi. And I'm Joey Lewandowski. And this movie is sort of the cage movie that it seems like we've been building to for a while. It's all about Elvis, almost. Yeah, all about him. The king is alive and well in Honeymoon in Vegas. I mean, really, you can't expect anything else when you're in Las Vegas. Like, that's Elvis's city. That's where a lot, like, a lot of his big career moments happened. Cage, huge Elvis fan all the stars aligned to bring us this movie. Yes, everyone is converging in Las Vegas to bring us this. Now we're going into comedy. Here we go. First of many cage comedies. And, like, it's really funny, but it's not as funny as I thought it was going to be. Like, it gets sort of, like, dark. Yeah, it plays pretty light for the most part, but, you know, in the in the times when the script toward the end when things have to become all or nothing or you know dark moments come it brings it the movie opens in a new york hospital in 1987 and we have one of the most boring cage introductions i think yet he's just talking to a nurse in a hallway and then he walks into a hospital room where his mother is laying on a bed dying he's just playing the everyman in this no bizarre looking appearance you know is very toned down and well at least look you know he'll he'll turn he'll tune it up later on in the movie but uh, yeah the, the start you know it's very casual i got a real moonstruck vibe again this is sort of the second movie in a row that i got a moonstruck vibe because we have a dying mother but we also have a mother that's sort of meddling in her son's marriage you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or like his his desire to get married. Like just how in Moonstruck Cage's brother was going to get married only because his mother was dying and then calls off the wedding when his mother lives. Again here we have the mother's wishes or the mother's presence sort of meddling with her son's desires. Yeah, and that's, that's very strange how she's like, uh, no one could be, no one could treat you better than I could. Like that, that sort of becomes a theme later on. Uh, but the, it's very strange how she's like, you know, I don't want you to get married. You're mine and I'm dying. So like, I, I found it very strange. And uh, he's been having dreams about his mother uh, telling him not to get married. And she's haunting him. She haunts Cage. And, and sometimes uh, she's naked in her in his dreams, which is sort of weird, but you know. Hey, when when a mom's like that crazy, who knows how she's going to impact her son's dreams and son's life? Cage in this movie is a private detective. Yeah, he's like a he's like an independent investigator. I think he basically makes his living from spouses who think that their husband or wife are cheating on them, and he goes to find proof that they are doing that. That's Mrs. Lupo with the cable installer. I'm Jack Singer, and I was hired by Mrs. Lupo's paranoid husband, who turned out not to be so paranoid. I feel for the guy. I really do. I feel for all these people, men and women, the cheaters and the cheated on, sneaking around hotel lobbies looking over their shoulders. I'm sorry, but they only confirm what my crazy mother said about marriage, that it's a disaster waiting to happen. Although my job can get depressing, at least it's not dangerous, and I do hear some great stories. My wife is having an affair with Mike Tyson. Um... Mike Tyson, Mike Tyson? And he's dating Sarah Jessica Parker, who's a teacher. Their careers almost become meaningless by the end of the movie, and I was just thinking about this now. Sarah Jessica Parker almost throws everything away to, to marry this rich old guy, right? And it's like she has no concerns over this classroom full of kids that she left <laughs> behind while she, while she went to uh, Vegas for a weekend. Cajun's efforts to find Sarah Jessica Parker and this man toward the end of the movie 
He doesn't really use any of his detective yeah, skills. Yeah, that excellent. Like, I was hoping you'd bring that up because I'm like, okay, they're setting him up to be, you know, like a master of disguise, a detective. Like, you know, he's a snooper. He follows people. He's totally going to have to use these skills later, and he can't. Yeah, it's like he's just like a normal guy just trying to find his wife, even though the first, like, ten minutes of the movie do a really good job and a really fun job of sort of setting him up as this, like you are saying, master of disguise. They have him wearing terrible fake mustaches. They have him dressed like early 90s New York street hustler with a big, big old jacket. I mean, unfortunately, no red sports car in this, but sort of a jacket that like that kind of guy would wear. Yeah, the, and just it's arms, the eight ball jacket. Arms fully adorned with Rolexes, selling Rolexes. Like he has all these props and costumes they just sort of never make an appearance past the first 10 minutes of the movie. So I had a, I was watching it going, oh, he's getting really elaborate with his sort of schemes to follow his clients, you know, and stuff. But like, yeah, one moment he's like dressed up as a Rolex dealer on the side of the road. And that's like got to be the worst disguise because you could just, you could really get arrested for that. <laughs> <laughs> like he could have just, you know, stuck with the mustache and the big hat and things like that. The movie does a good job setting up Cage and Sarah Jessica Parker, and then we meet his his foil, the antagonist, James Kahn, who plays Tommy Corman, the gambler. Yeah, James Kahn, famous for playing a gambler in the film The Gambler from the yeah. 70s. Uh, and it would have been cool if the character's name was Axel and he had a scar, but it's not. So I, I was hoping <laughs> they'd cross over there. His introduction's hilarious because like, he's just like a big-time gambler guy, like a yeah. Like, poker was on the rise at this time, you know, it would become, like, a big spectator sport by the late 90s. And uh, he acts like a mafia guy, <laughs> so, you know, he's, like, totally throwing his weight around the hotel, grabbing Tony Shalhoub by the balls to get... Poor like, Tony like, Shalhoub. I know, oof, Paul poor Shalhoub. I thought that was hilarious. Was like, you know, the way they set him up is like this Goodfellas-esque mob type guy persona, but he's just a pro gambler. But he's like a connected guy. It seems like he's connected. He's just sort of a, almost like muscle in Vegas. Like he, he sort of runs this town and he's, he has enough clout, at least at Bally's, <laughs> to be able to force them or have them force the president of Brazil out of the penthouse suite that he always stays in for the last 15 years. Yeah, I mean, he uh, he must do, you know, he likes Bally's. He must run their tables all the time, so bring them a lot of, you know, attention and stuff. So I guess, you know, he basically can do whatever he wants there. I thought it was interesting that Nick Cage ends up dating the one woman who's absolutely crazy about getting married because you know like his whole thing is like he never wants to get married and he's like happens to fall for this girl who's like only dream in life is to get married it seems like she doesn't care who it is at one point like as long as she's about to walk down some type of aisle i don't know if that's necessarily true like i like this movie a lot but all my problems with it sort of had to do with her character Mm mm-hmm like, she's just wildly inconsistent. I feel like the movie starts and she's not super into marriage. Like, she wants to get married, but she's, she's so in love with Cage that she's willing to, like, let him work through his problems. Like, she wants to help him, but they're in bed before they go to Vegas. And he's, she says, no, of course I'll wait for you. They skip ahead a year, sort of, like, very quickly. And he's like, oh, the relationship's straining and all this stuff. And his buddy's like, dude, you gotta take it to the nether level, you know? We gotta pop the question. And he's so afraid of getting married that he can't even say the word. Like, they're in bed, and he, like, can't even... 
you want to get, and he just like mouths the word married. Like he, it's so, like he's so nervous about it that he can't even say the word. It reminded me of uh, Peggy Sue got married when they're making out in the car, and she wants to touch his wang. Wang. He had like that same look on his face of just like utter fear. If you really want to get married, which Sarah Jessica Parker clearly does, and you're willing to wait for someone, I guess a year, an extra year of waiting will put you over the edge. But, like, later in the movie, like, she, what I like about it is that she's, like, this smart, independent woman, right? Toward the end of the movie, she just is so irrational and just, within a couple days of meeting James Caan, is ready to marry him and just give up everything that she's worked for so far with Cage. Like, it's it's weird. Well, he's, like, conning her the whole time, and, you know, he knows how to sort of play her emotions, and she's, this is all happening so fast, and, you know, I feel like everybody's sort of confused to a degree and not really thinking clearly so i kind of buy it toward the end when james Conn's telling her one thing but it, she's been told this other thing the whole time and he's messing with her mind and everything so i don't know but in the end it's a comedy so i guess the script just has to sort of do whatever the writer wants it to do uh, to get the laugh i guess but i really wonder like what his marriage plan would have been like if she had married him right like, she would have found out within a few days, probably, or maybe even, like, that day, that she made a horrible, horrible decision, right? Yeah. Like, I wonder, he doesn't really have a long-term plan. The reason that James Conn wants to marry Sarah Jessica Parker is because she seems to be, like, the second coming of his wife, who died of cancer at 38. This beautiful woman that he was deeply in love with left his life too soon, and then he sees Sarah Jessica Parker with Nick Cage in the lobby of Bally's. He says to his buddy, who's just always got food in his mouth, look at her, like, I need her. And so he pretty much sets up the rest of the movie to dupe Nick Cage into giving up Sarah Jessica Parker, eventually like trying to win over her heart. Yeah, uh, James Codd sets up a card game and invites uh, Nick Cage and hustles him to the degree that he is like in the hole so much that he can't pay like there's no way he'd ever be able to pay off his debt and then that's when james Conn's like yeah you know he has an indecent proposal for him <laughs> he's like uh weekend with your wife to clear a sixty-five thousand dollar debt and that poker game like has some pretty pretty highs and some lows but uh that was a pretty good poker game you know? uh, some colorful characters at that table but the problem for cage in the scene is that it's it really is like a fixed game like they keep saying it's not sarah jessica parker keeps saying that she thinks it is but he walks into this room where everybody is sort of affiliated with james Kahn, and i guess they like stacked the deck and like they set up exactly what they needed for him to lose all this money so he was like walking into a losing proposition without ever realizing it yeah it was a total trap you know james Kahn like set this trap and he even says later he's like the game wasn't rigged i'm a professional card player i just can outplay him uh it was just you know sort of waiting for the right moment and i think you kind of see that as like james Kahn sort of starts folding and letting the other guy go nick cage into betting higher and higher and taking out a loan and then at one point james Kahn like asks for his suitcase and a guy like wheels over like the suitcase filled with like a million dollars of chips <laughs> and that's when he like starts betting heavy and sort of traps Nick Cage into it. And the only way that Cage can make up his debt, his tremendous astronomical debt from this catastrophic game, is to convince Sarah Jessica Parker to spend the weekend. He just wants a weekend. Just spend a weekend with James Caan and his debt will be absolved, all will be well. And really sort of nice it's actually something similar, I don't know if you watch Masters of Sex, but last year there was like a whole episode, like one of the best episodes the show ever did, is almost like exactly what this scene does. It's a fight between the two characters, like this couple, 
choreographed or sort of set around a boxing match. And in this one, it's played for more comedy, and it's just, you know, these two guys are, like, slugging each other out in the ring, and they're having, like, the biggest fight of the movie outside of the ring as they're walking past. How could you put me in this position? What do you think? I knew it was coming. I wanted this to happen. I was completely blindsided. Jack, I still don't understand this. You went in there with $500, right? We had this whole discussion. I had a straight flush. Hey, how you doing? Do you know what a straight flush is? It's like unbeatable. Like unbeatable is not unbeatable. Hey, I know that now, okay? Don't yell at me. I hate this place. Uh, yeah, I love how they're even drawing attention away from the fight with their fight that they're having, like, outside of the ring. And then their fight sort of, like, bleeds into the arcade with all the children. And she starts yelling out, you know, you turn me into a prostitute. And you get all those great reaction shots from, from like, all those little kids. Yeah, just, like, 10-year-olds looking over, like, what's going on now? <laughs> he calls his buddy, who's, like, a loan shark slash dentist. Uh, he's a singing, bookkeeping dentist in New York City. Yeah, which is great. And he's a great actor playing the guy and then he's like uh he tell he asked for like a loan and there's no way he could get it and he tells him that who's he who he's in debt to tommy and the guy definitely knows him so yeah he suggests that he pay the debt and sarah jessica parker's like well at least you're not loaning me out to, to a nobody like i'm <laughs> like really sarcastically like, like i'm glad that you know you lost to a somebody like that makes <laughs> me feel real good they have like a meet and greet they go and they have like drinks at the elvis impersonation event elvis is of all ages races um you have like a korean elvis you have a, a black man Elvis, and then you have a little kid Elvis, played by none other than Bruno Mars himself, or at the time, Bruno Hernandez. Unmistakably, little Bruno. Uh, <laughs> just look at that face. And he's so good as little Elvis. Yeah, they linger on, on Bruno. Like, you know, they sort of, like, cut to make sure that they've got all the demographics represented. And then the director was clearly like, oh, my gosh, we got, like, this kid Elvis impersonator. Like, give him, like, 40 seconds, you know, uninterrupted, two different shots. And you can see it. We'll put it also on the on the website on cageclub.me. But if you just YouTube little Elvis honeymoon in Vegas, you can watch the whole clip. And he's just, he's just so, like, I don't really love Bruno Mars, but, like, he's just so good as little Elvis. He's got the shakedown you know like that yeah. Elvis, like he just keeps doing that move and yeah and he's got the the lip curl it's funny and it was at this scene where we keep because there's all these elvises like it basically seems like elvis weekend in vegas like when they get to the hotel or, or when when james Conn gets to the hotel there's a whole bunch of korean elvises right there like i'm sure that there's always at any one time tons of elvis impersonators in vegas but it seems like there's more than there really should be in this movie, and the whole soundtrack is Elvis songs, and this is the moment where I, I thought to myself, Nick Cage better be Elvis in this, and we sort of get our wish by the end of the movie, but not nearly to the extent that I was hoping for, or to the extent that we've seen in, you know, Wild at Heart and stuff like that. Yeah, there's definitely a convention going on at Bally's 
because uh, that's it, Bally's, right? That's yeah. they, I mean, they only say it like 50 times. <laughs> I should have remembered. By the time uh, Cage and Sarah Jessica Parker show up, like there's still more Elvises arriving, and they're like, hey, look at, look at all the Elvises. And, uh, <laughs> and Nick Cage is even like, hey, maybe I should get myself one of them jumpsuits. And boy, he has, uh, he has no idea, does he? He will end up in one of those jumpsuits, but yeah, sadly, he, he won't be singing uh, any, any tunes in this one. Like, the movie sets itself up for, like, I mean, I guess he can't do it. Like, you can't top him singing Love Me Tender at the end of Wild at Heart. Like, that's, like, the perfect use of everything, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But this movie sets itself up to be over the closing credits, and we sort of, like, the closing credits are pretty good in this, <laughs> but, like, it sets itself up to be him singing a love song to Sarah Jessica Parker as they get married, right? Like, it doesn't feel like they're building toward that. Yeah, I mean, they go with a big, grandiose ending, but a good ending may also have been how he needs to sort of, like, get out on stage somehow in some ridiculous circumstances in the Elvis sort of impersonation, you know, event that's going on, and he comes yeah. out and wins it for her by singing Love Me Tender or something. Like, that could have been an equally good uh, way to go with this. I mean, I like I like where they go, but if you had to squeeze it in, I would have gone that way. While Sarah Jessica Parker and James Conn are having their sort of meet and greet and watching all the Elvises, Cage is entering into, like, a gambling depression spiral down to nothing, betting all this money that he probably really doesn't have. Like, he sort of seems to be spending all the money for for the week. He almost bets it all on 20, and then he's like, no, that doesn't feel right, and then, of course, it lands on 20. He's just, like, he's so close to having a good week. Like, he came, he flew out with his fiance to Vegas to get married, and everything is just a little bit off. It's like he's so close to having the perfect week, and yet he's just also so far. Uh, I love how he goes to the dealer. He's like, I really, really need to win. And she's like, yeah, I'll see what I can do. You know, <laughs> it's, it's like he has no idea where he is. He's buying cigarettes and he's like, I'm going to start smoking. I'm going to just go betting nuts. And like, oh, man, this is like, I'm like, what is he doing? He just betting just got him into this mess. And then he like gets up and the champ's like, hey, I'm the champ. How you doing, old timer? <laughs> like, old timer. Yeah, Cage in this movie is like 27, 28. Like, he's my age. Like, if anybody called me old timer, I'd be like, what? Like, what, what is going on? Yeah, maybe the champ just can't see too straight. Too many blows to the head. Is that like a famous boxer or no? Or just like an actor playing a boxer? I didn't recognize it. Ernie Shavers was a former heavyweight boxing contender. I'm, I'm just looking this up now. He's rated as the greatest one-punch knockout artist in boxing history. So. Hmm. Maybe he was someone at some point, you know, and uh, that you see sort of see that at, at in Vegas. I remember I've been there a couple times, and you know we'd always go to um, go to Caesars, and you would see Pete Rose signing autographs. You know, <laughs> you just see these guys hanging out there, you know, earning extra money, meet and greets, things like that. Again, this is sort of like the movie setting fans up for something that doesn't really pay off. Like in the beginning of the movie, Cage has this guy come in. And thinks that his beautiful girlfriend, like, I mean, it's like the most unflattering picture, like not super ugly, but she's just like, she has her mouth open, she's eating, and he's like, oh yeah, my beautiful girl, she's sleeping with Mike Tyson. And it seems like there's a heavyweight boxing champ in Vegas, you know what I mean? Like, it seems like it should be Mike Tyson, and then that girl should be with him. Yeah, maybe that's why they have, like, this boxing legend no one knows. They're trying to say, you know, no one's going to remember Mike Tyson when he's in a cameo in 20 years, when he's in The the Hangover. No one's going to remember this guy. 
I wonder if they tried to get Tyson and couldn't. They had like the boxing scene already shot. You know what I mean? They're like, oh, well, I guess we just need somebody who's like Mike Tyson just to be in here. I mean, they could have gotten George Foreman if they really <laughs> wanted to do something, but I, I don't know. It is funny, though. It's funny how this boxing... It reminds me of Mars Attacks, how like the, bo- the ex-boxer is working at a casino and he's just sort of roaming <laughs> the floor like saying hi to people he's he's doing a pretty good job of it i guess i mean he doesn't really have much to do but he's he's wearing a shirt that's like hotel services like he just seems like he works at the hotel and just wants to make sure that all the guests are perfectly accommodated well it's just you know this whole movie is almost a big ad for bally's anyway so it's just one more of those things that you can experience if you come and stay with us but while cage is sort of losing his finances, losing his mind, waiting for them to finish their meet and greet, Sarah Jessica Parker agrees to go to Hawaii with James Caan, which was never on the table as far as Cage was concerned, and leads to sort of an amazing fight back in their their, their hotel suite. It's only for a few days! Come on, you're so, like, blithe about this all of a sudden, like, you don't give a damn! Of course I give a damn, but this was not my idea, okay, Jack? Poker was not my idea. Would you please stop crucifying me with this? my bag. He's gonna jump all over you the second he gets there. Oh, no, let him, please, Jack, give me a little credit. He'll overcome you. I mean, what happens if you start screaming? It's like a jungle over there! He probably has servants and bodyguards, and believe me, they will drug you! His son is gonna be there, Jack. His granddaughter, Tiffany, will be there. She knows the kid's name already. Okay. Marry me tonight. No! No, why not? Because I don't believe you. I mean, Jack, if you really wanted to marry me, you would have done it this afternoon. Yes, this is the Alibaba suite. I have some bags that have to be brought down. Yes, thank you. You were looking for a way to get out of this. I mean, you don't have to be Freud to figure that one out. I was not looking! Listen. You'll be back Monday. I don't know, probably Tuesday or Wednesday. Tuesday or Wednesday? That's almost a week! Would you expect us to fly back and forth to Hawaii in two days? Us? Already it's us. Oh, don't be infantile. I'm trying to make the best of this. Well, you're doing great! Yeah, this is definitely, again, one of the best things that Cage has ever done. <laughs> I think, like, this fight is just amazing. I mean, he just goes from zero to 60 uh, in, like two seconds, you know? Like, got so many great lines in this one little sequence. Aside from Vampire's Kiss, this is probably the most Cage that Cage has ever been so far, that he has several, like, real, real freak-out moments over sort of everything. Yeah, I, I definitely got the, uh, you know, Alva, Alva <laughs> tone coming out of his mouth in this one, you know? But he just is, like, snapping left and right at Sarah Jessica Parker, you know? And you really see now, like, a whole other side of this character, right? At first, he was this guy who liked to play it safe and all this other stuff, and now he's just, like, full-on rage mode for the rest of the movie. He's just anger-fueled. Oh, one little detail that I liked in this scene is while they're fighting he grabs an apple out of a fruit bowl and yes. takes a bite yes. and like just like spits it out and like puts it back down. Just because we talked about fruit so much with Zondali, if he if he took a bite of a peach, like I think all would be well. You know what I mean? It's not the the fruit of love that he's eating right now. He's just eating an apple, and it's not it's not what he wants. Like I'm not even joking. I buy. I'm I'm so with you on this. Like I almost felt it was like okay, if you chart his career and watch him, and like he'll know that you realize he eats peaches, not apples and stuff. You know, so like you you would. It's like almost like this in joke that like he reached and he got like the wrong piece of fruit. Like I that's totally how I was thinking about it. You know, I was like oh, just what you said. Like if 
that had been a peach, like, symbolically, it would mean everything's okay. But it's not a peach. It's just an apple, and it's just one more thing. It's it, The apple is just, like, one more example of, it seems like the universe is sort of conspiring against him. After Sarah Jessica Parker flies to Hawaii, he's just sitting on the couch in the hotel suite, dejected. And on the TV in the hotel room, there's, like, here's how to make money while playing poker. There's a couple hands that really just can't be beat. Full house, four of a kind, and, you know, the unbeatable... The best hand you can ever have, the straight flush, which is the hand that he had that he lost Sarah Jessica Parker. So all these like little details, the universe is just like, hey, dude, like this is this is not your weekend. Yeah, there was a cool bit that I picked up on when he just lost the card game and is going down to the pool to talk to Sarah Jessica Parker. And, and you hear this announcement over the loudspeaker going like, congratulations to the big winner. And it mentions a name and a dollar amount and all this stuff. And you just see Nick Cage and you know like he just lost his girlfriend to this guy in a poker game and he's the ultimate loser. There are all these great little touches. And Sarah Jessica Parker's character seems to be a little like a touch of the psychic as well. Like she, she gets these bad vibes. She has a bad feeling during the card game and all that kind of stuff so yeah it's it's an interesting touch how does he actually like come up with a plan to go to hawaii like what's the what's the, what's the like the sequence of events he has his leaving las vegas moment where he's like wandering through the streets and he just starts running down the street and he's like oh, i gotta get out of here uh and he actually leaves las vegas and like goes back to new york and then he's like talking to the guy and he's like look this isn't a picture of your wife but mike tyson and the guy's like well how would you feel if another man had his hands on your woman and that sort of started to get him thinking like i gotta do something about this there's a there's a man with his hands on my woman <laughs> and he's sitting at home watching tv and he sees james Conn and sarah just oh the, yeah the... at the eruption of a volcano and uh it like sets him off and then the next scene he's at the airport trying to book a flight out to hawaii an erupting volcano is nature's orgasm i guess and he's just he's really worried about <laughs> what might be going on in hawaii like i have that in my notes but it seems crazy to me thinking back to this movie that he flies from Vegas to New York while his girlfriend is in Hawaii for the weekend. He's so crazed that he goes back to New York, and not only goes back to New York, but like goes back to work. It's weird, and I guess that's sort of the the surrealness of the movie, and then he sees the volcano, and he has to get to Hawaii no matter what it takes. You find out he stayed there till Sunday, so you know I guess he waited to see if she'd come back on Sunday, and then he figured he might as well like try and move on, I guess, or at least you know stay occupied. And you know you can't just stay in Vegas; he's got to make some money or something. But you know it's a good thing he does go back, but he does do a lot of flying. You know he probably is in the air more than he's on the ground in this movie. <laughs> he sees the clip on TV of the volcano erupting. He sees them on TV. Khan's arm around her. He needs to get back to Hawaii or get to Hawaii for the first time. And he go he goes to the airport and there's an amazing scene where Ben Stein is trying to buy a plane ticket to Milwaukee for somewhere seemingly in the distant future. Tell me again about the Dion Super Saver. Well, there are several restrictions. What's this guy doing around the world in 80 days? Lighten up. You lighten up. You can only fly on a Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday, and it's important that you... Look, look, I've got a major problem, okay? My fiancé was kidnapped and taken to Hawaii. I've got to get there now. Well, I'm trying to make arrangements to get to Milwaukee for my nephew Douglas's wedding on the 21st. You're not even flying today? No. Consumer Reports said that if you make your travel arrangements two weeks in advance at You're the airport... You're seeing this line. We're all flying today. Please, sir, if you don't get back on... Then what? 
I'll be arrested, put in airport jail. Just get your ticket and move on, okay? Get your goddamn ticket and move on. Two things that are great about this, well, a lot of greatness about this sequence, (laughs) but uh, I liked how Ben Stein mentioned Nashville with all the uh, Elvis going on he's like what if yeah. i did a layover in nashville uh the other thing being like okay so i the last time i saw this movie was in the theaters when it was released okay. and this part got like a standing ovation i re- just recall like in the like in the in like the public consciousness at the time like this was like a big problem with people like taking a long time on lines and stuff especially like at airports and everything so like i, I just got a flashback watching this moment from being in the theater just like the place erupting like a log with nick cage Ben Stein is sort of the worst in this scene. He's just completely oblivious to the needs of the people around him. But it's so great that Cage has the line, what are you going to do, put me in airport jail? And, <laughs> and, and like now there is an airport jail in America. You know, like What he's doing would be seen as like objectionable you know, behavior at an airport nowadays. But back then, he's like the people's champion. Yeah, this is definitely a pre-9-11 movie for a whole <laughs> lot of reasons. Yeah. So while he's freaking out in New York trying to get to Hawaii, we spend some time with Sarah Jessica Parker and James Conn Hawaii. And this is what I was talking about earlier. Like, she just seems, like, too gullible. Like, she is just sort of buying everything that he's saying. And I guess that goes back to him sort of being a con artist and, you know, a professional gambler, that he knows how to read people, he knows how to tell them what they think. But she just sort of seems too willing to go along with whatever. Like, he leans in to kiss her, and she lets him kiss her. It's been ostensibly like less than a week right that she's been out there yeah and it's like she doesn't care about cage at all anymore it takes a couple days like first he's like got trouble like keeping up with her horseback riding and snorkeling and all that stuff and then he has that one moment in the beach where he's like you know he's no good for you i know guys like that and he's got that whole spiel right and then another day they're on the riverboat and that's when he sort of like makes his move so he's sort of like whittling her down you know he's like wearing her away (laughs) that's sort of how i saw it and i think like from her point of view the only thing I was holding on to is like she's trying to teach Nick Cage this lesson about how good he had it so she's just doing her best to like keep it together I guess it's a tough spot she's in because she didn't ask for any of this the confusing thing for me is that time in this movie like the timelines are never like really clear so I guess things could sort of make more sense in the way that you just laid it out what seems like could be a day might be a week and what seems like it could be a week might be actually a day yeah you're right I did sort of lose track of time a few times throughout the movie. It turns out that this movie takes place over, what, like six days? It's like Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. It's not very much. Yeah. So Cage gets to Hawaii. James Kahn's business partner, or not business partner, how would you describe that guy? Um, I think it's just his, his like friend. He's listed as Johnny Sandwich. That's the character's <laughs> name, <laughs> Johnny Sandwich. And by the end of the movie, I took it as, okay, you know, like, Tommy's putting up this whole front, uh, like, he's a gangster and all, and, like, he's got this one friend, but he's, like, sort of an idiot, so, like, he just hired him to work for him, and by the, in the beginning of the movie, we think it's, like, his enforcer, but by the end of the movie, it's just his stupid friend that, like, runs errands for him. Johnny Sandwich is outside the airport and goes up to a cabbie and says, hey, you're going to see a guy get off this plane, he's 6'1", 180 pounds, Make sure he goes nowhere near Tommy's house. The guy's like, you got it. It seems like that description can sort of fit like a lot of people going to Hawaii, but the cab driver like right away goes up to Cage and is like, hey, where do you want to go? He's like, I don't know exactly yet. I'm trying to find this guy's house. He's like, oh, Tommy Corman? I can get you there. And he drives him way out like the opposite direction to this like farm in the middle of nowhere. He's like, here we are, Chief Orman's house. This can't be it. Tommy Corman lives here? Corman? I thought he said Orman. 
You know, Chief Orman. I didn't say Chief Orman. I said Tommy Corman, loud and clear. Come on. I fly for two goddamn days. I haven't slept. I can barely walk. And who's there but none other than the delightful Peter Boyle. Yeah, and the taxi driver, BTW, uh, Pat Morita, Mr. Miyagi himself. This movie has just, like, great, lovable character actors, or, like, yeah. you know, not necessarily leading roles in a lot of different places. Yeah, it's just really well cast, because, like, this moment now when they go to the chief's house, like, you need these three guys in a room together. Like, it's just comedy gold. You know, Peter Boyle, Pat Morita, and Nicolas Cage, like, in a room together like give me a, like it's hilarious i don't know i just feel like you need these actors to sort of beef up the material a little but yeah i love i love when cage gets to hawaii because like he's just like it's man on a mission mode you know like he's just yeah. like get out of my way i'm trying to find my wife and when he's just got no time for the chief but yeah pepperita's like uh you gotta like respect the chief or else you know it'll word will get around town that like you didn't placate this guy <laughs> i just thought that was hilarious listen mahi i don't have have time for this horse shit hey jack no make insult for the chief okay this man get plenty influence in this place you know influence he lives in a shack and so cage does give him the time he seems to be there for like probably like a couple hours just sort of hanging out like he knows he has other things to do but he has to respect the island but eventually as they're getting ready to leave he sends pat rita on a, on a little errand he's like oh i left my keys inside can you go grab him he's like oh yeah absolutely and then cage steals his taxi drives away and goes to a phone booth pat Marita like tells him about this attraction called the five pools and like cage is like sure we're gonna go let's go but like you said he, he steals his car takes off without him and then he's trying to find where tommy lives on his own and he's just like they just cut to Nick Cage like at a phone booth talking to like it's a one-sided conversation and he's talking to the operator and he's trying to figure out where he is or what town he's in or where Tommy is and it's just like one of those there's several moments like this especially when he starts to pursue Sarah Jessica Parker all the way to Hawaii and back the movie will just cut to Nick Cage like for a moment and it'll just be a great little sequence where everything is hilarious he's like fully exasperated the world like I said before is like conspiring against him the simplest tasks become the most like Herculean efforts. I want to get you in that room, tear the bed spread off. Yahoo! Can I get a room? This is nuts! Are you trying to give me a heart attack? Yeah, hi, operator. I, look, I need a listing for a Tommy Corman or a T Corman in Kauai. Where in Kauai? I have no idea. What, there's sections of Kauai? Uh-huh. Well, no, no, not off the top of my head. What about near where Don Ho or Jack Lord lives? That must be a pretty good neighborhood. Yeah. Okay, I see. Well, thank you. My father left home when I was five. That's why I'm named Jack. Doesn't Jack tell your mother I'm just going out to get the paper? Kabluna, the five pools are here? Yeah! Jesus! Corman's address is near Kapa'a'a. Is it, is it, no, is it Kapa'a'a or Kapa'a'a? Is it, is it two A's or, is it A-A-A or A-A? Two A's. Okay, thank you. No, I'm in Waimea. Okay, so I wanted to bring this up. He finds Tommy's house, and he's talking to Tommy's son, right? Tommy's son is there with his wife and the baby. And I was like, you know, James Caan, he, he thinks this woman looks exactly like his ex-wife. Like, what does his son think about this woman? Like, doesn't he think it's a little strange or creepy that this girl his age 
looks like his dead mother and is dating his dad. That thought just crossed my mind at one point. I don't know if his son doesn't recognize or doesn't see the resemblance, but he says to Katie, he's just like, oh, it's so good to see dad just in love again. I guess he's maybe just so happy for his dad that he doesn't realize that this woman looks exactly like his mom. They, like, flash back, right? They flash back to scenes of their mom like reading books poolside and isn't it sarah jessica parker as that role right yeah it's sarah jessica parker in a wig with like dark skin makeup on for the for the tan i guess because the mother was like more tan yeah and that's that and that's why she died because she's always out by the pool and she got i guess skin cancer and stuff but yeah and i I wouldn't have brought it up unless there wasn't that scene now we don't get a red sports car but we get a red jeep which is Mm. enough for me because the villain's driving it but we get the red jeep when they're pulling up to the club and the valet guy's like oh the new Mrs. Tommy looks just like the old Mrs. Tommy or something, you know? And if the valet guy recognizes it, you know, how long has that valet guy really been working there, too? 30 years? Like, what's up with that? He gets, like, directed basically to, like, a golf course, right? Or, like, there's some kind of, like, resort where they're just, they're there for the night. Sarah Jessica Parker's looking out over the ocean, which Cage says when he sees her, that's how he knows that she's doing her deep thinking. Yeah, he, he starts yelling at her, and the waves are, she's like close to the ocean, so the waves are crashing, and it's too loud to hear. I just love how convenient it gets, just for the sake of the script, like, what they yeah. want. To, I just like it. I don't know. I forgive this movie for so many things. But, but this is interesting, too, because, you know, Tommy is like, you know, no violence, no violence, but it's Tommy who tackles Nick Cage on the golf course. Right. And it's like, you rat bastard. Like, what are you doing here? <laughs> like, and I thought it was just so clever. Oh, Nick Cage, like, he, oh, man, he, like, he might psych- suck at poker, but he puts on the best poker face where he's like, I got your money. And then James Conn's like, no, you don't. <laughs> just, he's like, he's right like yeah, through. no, I brought it. He's like, oh, you never even wanted the money in the first place. It was just all about the girl. Duh, dude. <laughs> just put that together. So James Conn tackles Cage. They wrestle around a little bit. The security shows up, and Cage gets arrested. And goes to jail and it's five thousand dollars bail, which seems like extravagant amount of money. Yeah, I think it's part of the whole conspiracy set up by the James Conn character. Like, I have a feeling, like you know, they picked the cab driver, they 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 told the chief ahead of time, you know, to stall and then you know run this guy around the island and make him nuts and you know make sure he stays away from us in there. So he's probably got his hand in the uh, with the local law enforcement too. So he's like, you know, like crank up the bail, put him in with the naked guy. <laughs> like, what was that? He just gets put in this like tiny little cell and looks like there's only one bed and there's just like a fat naked guy face down, naked ass in the air and Cage's like, you gotta get me out of here. Ultimately, the, the bail doesn't really matter because he does call his singing dentist bookkeeping buddy in New York who wires him the $5,000 and says, hey, make sure that they'll let you leave the island Otherwise, you like you might be out of jail, but like, you won't be able to leave Hawaii. Yeah, but then he gets out of jail, and Pat Morita's sitting there, and he's like, yeah, I dropped the charges anyway. So <laughs> he didn't even need to get the bail. That whole, if you just waited, that doesn't matter. You know, it's a superfluous scene. It was still pretty funny where he, his buddy in New York is like, hey, Jackson, a Hawaiian clink. <laughs> and I just thought it was just hysterical the way that uh, all these, these guys are just like getting all this secondhand information. But while Cage is in jail, Sarah Jessica Parker agrees to marry James Caan. That they're going to fly back to Vegas, and they're going to do what James Conn says he would have done if he was in Nick Cage's role, land in Vegas, drive to the first chapel he sees, and just do the deed. All right, so two things. Like, if you really want to marry her that bad, just get married at that amazing house you have in the morning. Like, just, just have, have the ceremony in Hawaii. Yeah. Like, do you have to fly to Vegas to get married? The other thing is, like, they fly to L.A. and drive into Vegas in a limo, and they don't go right to a wedding chapel. They go to Bally's. To hang out. And that's, again, sort of the the script creating events and sort of sequences of events that best suit up the, the finale that it's building toward. Yeah. 
I was trying to think if this actually had any sort of real significance. Pat Morita gives him this whole, like, Hawaiian words of wisdom. Always have the good words come out of your mouth. Case doesn't, like, necessarily learn a lesson, right? I mean, that's not about be true to your heart or, like, give the woman what she wants. Like, he's, he's not, like, mean. He doesn't, like, lie to people, right? Like, it's James Conn who's lying. I just kind of picked up on it as more of, like, this character's a strange character spouting goofy nonsense most of the time anyway. It's just, like, this faux advice. He's like a fortune cookie, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but uh, it, you're right, though. It does speak to James Conn's character. So so maybe Pat Morita decides to help him because he sees, oh, you know, this guy's not like Tommy. This, this is a good guy. Like, I should be helping this guy. And I'm going to warn him, you know, maybe that was, like, a, a foreboding warning because when we go back to James Caan, everything that comes out of his mouth for the rest of the movie is like made to hate, make you hate that character again. Because he offers her $500,000. He's like, let's just get married. Like, I'll give you $500,000 if you don't want to get married. If, if like this isn't for you, just keep the money. You'll, be a fi- you'll have $500,000. And she's like, that's sort of weird. He's like, alright, I'll make it a million dollars. And she's like, what? Like, what do you... She's like, alright, I, I, I guess. Isn't she like, you're disgusting, get out of my face, like, I need to go to the bathroom. And then he's like, you're yelling at me in the lobby at Bally's. <laughs> and, like, he starts to really strong arm her, and get, that's when I think you're talking about, like, it gets really dark and scary here. Like, I think when James Conn starts to tell her, like, oh, it wasn't 65 grand, it was 3 grand, and you're, you know, he put you up as a bet, and all right. that, like, that, yeah, that stuff is like, oh, man, this guy is, like, really a creepo, and, like, this is dark, and this is it this is bad uh, and this is like he, he he's like the big dragon that nick cage is gonna have to slay and it's really they want you to turn on his character like really quickly because he's not like really a bad guy for most of the movie i mean if you operate under the assumption that the card game wasn't fixed that he just sort of leads cage into like into a trap where he is like the best in the world at, at poker right if you operate under the assumption that like that was all on the books right then he's not really necessarily a bad guy he just sees a woman that he loves and sees an, and try to cre- and creates an opportunity to spend time with her. And then it's really at these last sort of twenty minutes of the movie that things really turn, and you sort of see the creepy, desperate, manipulative man that he actually is. Yeah, and uh, I think you're right. Like he is, for the most part, a nice guy and all that kind of stuff. And I think it's just that he's so in. You know, even he says, you know, it's like Romeo and Juliet. Hey, another connection. But yeah, he doesn't even know what it is. It's just like he's just so in love. Like he'll do anything to keep her. And you know, he becomes possessive and obsessive and all those bad things. And so while they're sort of having a falling out in Vegas, Cage is trying to get back to Vegas, and he goes to the airport. There's a lot of time spent at airports in this movie. He's like, I need the first plane out of here. She's like, okay, it's going to New Zealand. He's like, no, I need to get back to the States. And she's like, sir, we are a state. And he's like, I need to get to Las Vegas. She's like, well, the plane to Los Angeles just left 20 minutes ago. He's like, just get me any... Like, he, like <laughs> Customer service in this movie is very poor. <laughs> uh, he's just like, get me somewhere that I can connect to Vegas. And where does she get him? She gets him, I guess, somewhere like in California-ish, right? Um, I think he ends up in New Mexico. And he's just, he's pulling out all the last-ditch efforts to get to Vegas. And he's running around like this tiny airport with all these like prop planes, basically, trying to find some group or some pilot or some plane that's going to Las Vegas. And he finds a group of Elvises. Where else would a group of Elvises go other than Las Vegas? They pile on the plane and they're like, hey, you want to come with us? He's like, yeah, like th- thanks a lot, man. Like this, this means a lot. He's like, you, you've ever done this before? He's like, oh, I've, <laughs> I've been on these planes before. No worries. Don't, I'm, I'm, I'm totally cool. And then they load on the plane, and in a great little filmmaking moment, you see that the plane says, 
Flying Elvis Skydivers. Yeah, and they're the Utah chapter. So my final answer for where he is in the United States is Utah. I'm on board with that. These guys are amazing. Like, I love the leader of the Flying Elvises. You know, I think these guys, I'm surprised they never really caught on. (laughs) I don't know what you could really do with them aside from this, but I guess this is the top. You know, getting into a major motion picture like this? I don't, I don't, I don't know. Do you think this is a real thing? Even I mean, I'm under the assumption that this is just a real thing. That there are Elvis, so many like Elvis themed things out there. That there's got to be like a bunch of skydivers. You know, I'm sure there's like stormtrooper skydivers and things like like that. I wonder if they like made it for the movie or if they're like, hey guys, guess what? You're not gonna believe it. We got access to be flying Elvis skydivers. That's what I want to believe. Like, how can we work them to the movie? And they're like, oh, well, it has to be the, the big finale. Whether or not that's actually the case, that would be amazing if that was true. Man, I just wish I had, like, an answer. <laughs> I'm sure in the internet age I could find one immediately, but I just chose not to look this time. And so Cage is on the plane, still isn't aware what they're doing. He's like, why are you all wearing parachutes? It's such a short flight. And they're like, oh, you're really funny. What's your cape size? What's my cape size? Uh-huh. Uh, 40 regular. What's with the parachutes? <laughs> What's with the parachutes? Well, you're going to find out soon as you step foot on, I guarantee you. It's such a short flight, it seems like you're being a little overcautious. I don't know. It's just a hot. Son, we're skydiving. You're skydiving? <laughs> We're the Flying Elvis Utah chapter. Roy Bacon, director at your service. Listen, if you could just drop me. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, we'll sure drop it. <laughs> it is funny. He's like, uh, aren't you being a little over precautious? <laughs> yeah, and then um, you think he gets the, the point at the, the Flying Elvises. He's, the guy yeah, says the it right Elvis. to him, man. I mean, what, what did you expect? Like, what did what was he expecting? I mean, he gets on that plane and he's up in the air and he's looking around and like everybody is dressed as Elvis. Everybody's like getting all pumped up. You know what I mean? Like, are they just going to land and all go to the convention in Las Vegas together? I guess within the reality of the movie, he could be so focused on just trying to get back to his fiance that he doesn't put together the context clues Mm. but whatever it is it's really funny that he just is completely oblivious to what's actually going on around him and then back at the hotel in vegas like sarah jessica parker is is leading johnny sandwich sort of on like this like cat and mouse race around bally's hotel and she ducks away from him and dresses up like a showgirl and blends in with all these valley showgirls who are waiting outside for the flying elvis skydivers to land from their historic never before have so many elvises been airborne and who is that announcer sounds very familiar don pardo announcer for saturday night live that was pretty mm. that was that was a pretty fun like don't remember that that was pretty fun uh, to hear he's, he's uncredited on imdb so like i guess it's sort of just like a, but it's, he's got such a distinctive voice you know what i mean right the, he was literally the voice of snl yeah so that was really cool that was uh gave me an extra laugh there at the, at the end all these elvises on the plane are just like such jokers like they're all so relaxed and they're all like oh pull the yellow pull the yellow cord and then pull the red cord and then this other Elvis like is like no 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 pull the red one and then the yellow one he's like no I was just joking he's like wait what were you, what part were you joking about and he doesn't know what to do 
and then he eventually parachutes and he pulls both. But I don't think he's supposed to pull both. Yeah, one's the backup. You're only supposed to pull the red if the yellow fails to deploy, and he just goes yellow, red. He says yellow, red, pow, <laughs> and just drifts down. But I feel like this parachute gag is in like every parachute movie scene. Like I think I feel like they did this in Point Break as well, where like they gave Johnny the parachute, or like everyone had a parachute except him. They did something like this in Kingsman, where they're like one of the parachute doesn't have a shoot in the backpack. They always make it a joke or threat, or you know they always turn it into a gag. But he lands, meets up with Sarah Jessica Parker, all is well. James Cod, you know, w- without really much. I guess he sort of sees this relationship coming to an end. Like, it never really should have gotten this far and just sort of gives up. And then they they go off and they go to a chapel and it's them, it's Cage in his Elvis suit that he skydived in. The closest thing we have to him actually being Elvis in this movie. Her in her showgirl outfit and then all the people at the wedding are the other flying Elvises and they get married over the closing credits. Yeah, I love how James Caan sees them on the um, like on the target or the bullseye after cage lands johnny sandwich is like boss there he's like i can't find him and he's like they're right there he's like you want me to get him for you and he's like he jumped out of a plane for her let him (laughs) let him have her (laughs) yeah like all that stuff i I, yeah maybe i'd shoot the love of my life but i ain't gonna jump out of a plane for her forget that it's a young man's game and then i also loved how um like all the elvises are crying at the chapel (laughs) it's the most beautiful elvis wedding I mean, most of the times um, people go to Vegas to get married by Elvis, not to have like El- like a hundred Elvis as witness, but it was pretty funny. I loved it. That's Honeymoon in Vegas. The one thing to, to note about this movie was that Cage was nominated for a Golden Globe for Best Actor in a Comedy. Did not win, unfortunately. He's He's gotten a pretty decent recognition at this point in his career. And just three short years from now, he'll be back in Vegas, win the Academy Award for Best Actor. Yeah, I feel like this movie sort of helped him get back into the mainstream or commercial eye of, <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I think, like, popular culture started to pay more attention to him up at this point. You know, it just sort of got him back into people's attention again. If you weren't paying attention to him, you know, for the last four movies, if you didn't see Firebirds in theaters, you know, if you couldn't track down Zondali, uh, <laughs> if the last time you saw him was in Moonstruck, well, you know... Just, just to remind you, he's still really good. But I think we can add Las Vegas to the list of cities that do not agree really with Nicholas Cage. <laughs> yeah. and New Orleans, he doesn't. Things, good things don't happen to him in New Orleans. And while this movie eventually works out in his favor, Las Vegas is not a great city for Nick Cage to be in. We've not seen the end, even after leaving Las Vegas, I don't think we've seen the end of Cage in Vegas. Anything else that you want to say about this movie? Because I think we pretty much covered everything I had. Yeah, that's that's pretty much all I had. It's it's not as funny as I thought it was going to be, but it is still a funny movie, and it's a lot more upbeat, especially with a happy ending, than Zondali was. So, I mean, I'm glad that we're sort of on the upswing of movies that just don't put you into, into a depression when you're done watching them. Oh, yeah, well, you know, I think this also has a lot of famous cage lines like even if you're not aware what movie they're from like i feel like they pull lines from this movie a lot when they're trying to show sort of how how loud and outrageous he gets and out of context and even i I say this too in context there it's hot it's over the top and crazy but like again like i just think he does a really great job in this like his comical presence is on point you know he's a really good comic actor his overacting sort of leads to unintentional comedy but like even like when he's when he's trying to be funny i think he's almost like do you think he's a better comedic actor or dramatic actor it's see, it's tough. I mean, I feel like he's got strengths and weaknesses for both so far. I think with stuff like 
Raising Arizona, you know, I, I feel like he can do he, he more embodies the comic role, but he could still do a really good dramatic role. It's a tough call. But one thing is for sure, we love him here on Cage Club, and he is the best actor in terms of comedy <laughs> and drama in our eyes. Go to cageclub.me for all of our reviews about the movies that we do. You can follow us on Twitter from there. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes from there. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. We'll see you next time on Cage Club. Thank you.